This podcast is a presentation of UCTV.TV, University of California Television. Like what you learn? Help others discover UCTV podcasts by leaving a comment or rating in iTunes. In 2012, the Center for Health Quality and Innovation and the Office of Risk Services created a joint venture known as the Center for Health Quality and Innovation Quality Enterprise Risk Management, better known as CHQIQERM. This joint venture was created to fund and manage projects that were proposed by UC Health staff and faculty that were specifically designed to minimize the risk of clinical harm, adverse events, and minimize medical malpractice claims. One of the major functions of the Office of Risk Services is to identify risks and develop strategies to minimize the impact of risk, and they do so by implementing an enterprise risk management strategy, and that is analyzing risks across the enterprise rather than separate risk silos. Uh, which is what is traditionally done. So to that end, CHQIQERM issued an RFP to solicit projects that were designed to achieve a measurable reduction of risk to risk of clinical harm to patients receiving or having have undergone surgery at UC medical centers. The proposals were designed to include an enterprise risk management approach with the goal of cutting across service line silos to address the fragmentation in the delivery of care. In 2013, five proposals were selected by CHQI and the Office of Risk Services to receive funding to implement projects. And before I, implement, before I introduce the five grantees, I'd like to introduce the leaders of the Office of Risk Services. One of the leaders is Cheryl Lloyd, and Cheryl is sitting at table three. Please stand up. And we really want to thank her, because without this office... These projects wouldn't have never, never would have been funded, and we owe them a great deal of debt and thank you to making this happen, because what, what these grants are accomplishing is phenomenal. And now I'd like to introduce the, the five selected grantees who will present their projects. And again, please hold your questions until everyone's presented. We will have time at the end. So to my left, Dr. Wendy Anderson from UCSF. From UC Davis, Dr. Aaron Baer, and Aaron Baer is graciously filling in at the last minute uh, for Dr. Dan Davis, and uh, Dan is from UCSD, and Aaron is from UC Davis. Uh, From UCSF, we have Dr. Catherine Lau. From UC Irvine, Dr. Michael Stamos, and from UC San Diego, Dr. Francesca Torriani. Dr. Anderson. Thank you, Karen, and thank you all for being here. So I'm going to be talking about our Impact ICU project, which is integrating multidisciplinary palliative care into the ICU. It's a particular focus on expanding palliative nursing across the University of California ICUs. I don't have any disclosures. So a particularly key part of this project has been our tremendous multi-specialty and multidisciplinary team. Could we have our team members stand up, the ones who are here? Thank you, they deserve that. Um, the, so we have um, multiple disciplines, including palliative care, and uh, we have multiple specialties, including palliative care and critical care, and then nurse leaders at each campus in critical care and palliative care, advanced practice and education, as well as site leaders and physicians in the palliative care services. The objective of our project is to integrate palliative care into the ICU by training and supporting bedside nurses. And we've targeted two ICUs at each of the five University of California medical centers. Our two specific aims are first to train ICU bedside nurses to facilitate palliative communication among families and clinicians, 
And then second, to support these nurses as they're implementing these skills in the units where they work to identify and then work with the ICU and palliative care teams to address these needs. This slide shows the conceptual map for our project. By training and supporting the ICU bedside nurses, we anticipate to include, improve patient outcomes through both generalist palliative care, which is that that's provided by the clinicians in the intensive care units, so the doctors, nurses, social workers, spiritual care providers who are already caring for the patients. And then secondly, we imp will improve outcomes by increasing palliative care consults, and so activating the specialty palliative care pathway for the most complicated patients. In both generalist and specialist palliative care, we're focusing on three domains, which is management of patient symptoms, improving family emotional support, and encouraging early and regular communication about prognosis and goals of care to make sure that treatments provided are consistent with those. And then the distal outcomes that we're evaluating, we anticipate improved family satisfaction, as well as by encouraging treatments to be consistent with goals and making sure that patients don't receive treatments that they don't want, that we improve the um, resource utilization and reduce the average ICU length of stay for seriously ill patients. There's three aspects to our intervention. The first is a communication workshop. It's eight hours long, and it's done in small groups to emphasize skill acquisition and practice. We'll train 600 nurses over the two-year period. We've trained 250 so far who've completed the workshop. And the focus is really on role play so that nurses can practice and actualize skills in what are often very difficult discussions with families and physicians and learn to have those in a sensitive manner. The second aspect of the intervention is rounding in the target units. And this is where our expert advanced practice nurses and educators are rounding with the bedside nurses so that they can support them in the process of applying what they've used in the workshop to taking care of the patients. So they mentor them in assessing and addressing patients' palliative care needs. And we find in these rounds that 71% of the seriously ill patients have a need that's addressed by the bedside nurse that then we're with, able, with the support of the palliative care mentors, able to address through work with the ICU teams and other teams caring for the patient. And then thirdly, we've been focusing on integrating all of this into the ICU care practices in our target units. And this is where the multidisciplinary coordination of palliative care in the ICU really comes in, both for the ICU teams and other teams caring for the patients, and then also working with the specialist palliative care team when needed. And the idea is that we just want to make sure we have pathways that when a nurse identifies a need, that we have a clear way to address and act on that. We're now one year into our two-year project, and everything's going very well. The, we started the beginning of the first year with stakeholder interviews um, of leaders and clinicians in the target ICUs, as well as meeting across the five campuses to really refine and think about how we are going to implement our intervention. We also did a UCY survey of ICU nurses, um, and they identified as the main barrier to their involvement in discussions of prognosis, goals of care, and palliative care, a need for training about both palliative care and communication, and so we feel like we're addressing that very well through our intervention. We've been conducting communication workshops and rounding in the target ICU since the middle of our first year. And then we had our second multi-campus meeting yesterday, which was really exciting to be able to focus on sustainability and thinking about how this goes forward um, really concretely at the rest of at our medical centers. And then we've been focusing on program evaluation based on our conceptual map throughout the project. In the second year, we'll particularly be focusing on the utilization outcomes. As far as the plan for sustainability, we very intentionally um, 
implemented aspects of the project that will go on after the end of the enterprise risk management funding. Um, so these trained teams um, of really expert clinicians and educa educators at each of the campuses will be able to continue these workshops and trainings through continuing nursing education at each of the campuses. And then we're implementing palliative care processes into the target ICU so that addressing palliative care needs in pain, family support, and communication is just part of what we do in these ICUs. Um, examples of this are a daily screen by the bedside nurses for palliative care needs, which is then a, a discussed at the ICU rounds to come up with a multidisciplinary plan of how to address those needs. And then also we've seen a real increase in the bedside nurses attending family meetings and also talking with families before and after those meetings to make sure that families are emotionally supported and that nurses can reinforce information that may have been presented at the meetings by physicians and other clinicians. And then finally, a really wonderful outcome of this project has been an improved relationship between ICU bedside nurses and specialist palliative care nursing and really the whole palliative care teams so that when nurses identify needs for their patients and they need some coaching about how they might best address those, that they have someone that they have ready access to to address those needs. The main barriers that we've um, encountered in the implementation is really that palliative care is a relatively new field, both in medicine and nursing. And there's a lot of evolving evidence about what the best way to provide it is. Um, there's mounting evidence that palliative care is really for all patients that have serious illnesses, no matter what the diagnosis is, and that if it's provided earlier on in the course of illness, that the outcomes are much better. Um, secondly, we're also learning that we can't, as specialists, be providing palliative care to all the seriously ill patients, and so we need to be training all clinicians to provide this. Um, so really this definition of palliative care is something that is a little bit new even to our field, and so we need to, as part of this project, have been working a lot to disseminate it across our medical centers and then act on it. And then finally, uh, um, the other challenge has been identifying and addressing needs of patients from really diverse diagnoses of serious illnesses. So we are seeing patients in medical, post-surgical, trauma, cardiac, oncologic, neurologic, and transplant ICUs. And obviously, these patients who all have palliative care needs have different needs, and the teams work differently. And so we need to figure out how we can best integrate and are in the process of doing that, of how can we best integrate into all of these teams and meet the needs of these unique patients. In overcoming these barriers, our multi-specialty and multidisciplinary team has been hugely important because all of those multiple specialties and disciplines have been able to reach out to key stakeholders in the units so that they can bring all of those different stakeholders working in the units on board in this project. And the mentorship from the CHQI and the campus leadership has been tremendous, and I don't think we would be this successful without that support. Um, what we learned from that mentorship is that, um, and from our experience, is that partnering with the clinicians who are caring for the, pa the patients in both refining and implementing this intervention is really essential. And keeping in mind two things in that partnering, that we're just focusing on really the patient and the family needs, but then being open and working collaboratively about what the best way to address those needs are. And then, secondly, um, there's so many amazing things that are going on in the University of California ICUs, and so we've been working to collaborate in those related efforts um, so that the whole really has been better than, bigger than the sum of its parts. I wanted to acknowledge our whole team because all the names weren't on this slide, and there's even more um, people who are at the medical centers who've been working on this project that aren't on this slide. 
Um, and so the key acknowledgments are to the CHQI and the Enterprise Risk, Risk Management Program. The campus critical care and palliative care leadership at the five UC medical centers has provided tre- tremendous support. And really, most importantly, to the bedside nurses and all of the clinicians in our target ICUs, um, because they've really what the people that have taken this project and turned it into action. So we owe them a tremendous debt of gratitude. These are the, the target units here. Thank you. Thank you. Um, As Karen mentioned, I'm not Dan Davis, but just to confuse things more, I'm from UC Davis. Um, My name is Aaron Baer. I'm I'm faculty in emergency medicine. I'm uh, the medical director for the Center for Health and Technology at UC Davis and the associate dean for uh, CME. Uh, Dan and I have been working on a number of projects over the years, and uh, Dan, unfortunately, was called out of town for a family emergency. He sends his apologies and regards and thanks, Um, but I inherited these slides, so... Bear with me. Um, I have no disclosures, personally. These are a list of some of Dan's. Dan's been very uh, active in resuscitative research for years. Uh, An acknowledgement of some of of the uh, principal investigators of the various sites, in addition to myself and Dan, you'll see noted uh, Drs. Aldrich, Lee, and Ricks. What we're to talk about is the advanced resuscitation training curriculum. There's a lot of words here that you probably can't necessarily get your head around quickly as I'm Uh, blasting through the slides, because I'll uh, go through a little diagram here. But in a nutshell, really what this is about when we talk about advanced in terms of resuscitation training, uh, if if you take nothing else away from this uh, few moments that I'm I'm chattering at you, I would say that this advanced portion really is about tying it to local QI issues. Uh, Unlike a lot of the kind of template-based Uh, cut and paste kinds of curricula that are out there, be it ACLS, ATLS, and and some of these other kind of more standardized curricula. This is a a venture that is really focused predominantly on looking at what individual units and hospitals don't necessarily do well or perhaps can do better, and focusing your training and your effort on those issues. Kind of better said, I think, diagrammatically is this. CQI at the fundamental heart of what we're talking about, uh, surrounded by training and the technology, best practices, all, of course, being informed by scientific best evidence. So these are some of the numbers that have uh, uh, grown out of uh, the experience at UC San Diego. You'll notice non-ICU arrests, and these are in... um, per 1,000 patient admissions. And you can see uh, in the thematically in the next few slides, there will be certainly trends here that hopefully are apparent even from the back of the room um, and the falling of uh, uh, ICU arrests over the years uh, since uh, 2006. Arrest survival trending upwards. And this is a percentage of survival to discharge uh, from uh, 6-7 up to uh, almost current 12-13. Likewise, arrest-related deaths, and this is per 1,000 admissions. Overall, hospital mortality. 
all very compelling, I think, uh, with larger questions, and, and I think why we're here today um, in this context is to kind of address some of the opportunities for whether this is generalizable across our various systems. Um, and so the objectives of the grant really are to uh, kind of test that notion of whether uh, what the experience at UC San Diego is, is something that is scalable and portable and spreadable uh, to other UC campuses. Uh, and so what we're setting out to do as a collective is to create art infrastructure at each campus. Um, we're creating a, a UC-wide database um, that will really be the kind of end game of, of how we uh, codify and um, actually put a label to various etiologies of, of arrest. Um, the CQI processes, and of course the art training materials, and this is kind of a more of a local pitch that I, I'm living a little bit closer to. Um, UC Davis in particular um, is working closely with our medical simulation uh, fellowship and uh, training resources at uh, the Center for Health and Technology to create a cadre of about a 12 to 15 very robust simulator-based uh, cases that can be ported um, across various platforms to each of the various participating facilities. Of course, uh, the end game is uh, prevention, uh, increasing survival, and increasing patient safety. The timeline, um, uh, funding officially uh, this year um, started in January, and you can see here we have uh, a fair amount of work to be done in the next uh, two and a half years. The uh, goal uh, that is set upon us in the near term is, is organizing our database and um, in kind of a landscape fashion trying to assess uh, across the campuses uh, what data perhaps we don't have readily at hand. Uh, obviously, those of us that are living in the electronic health health record and can pull um, the, the fundamentals and the basics, um, but being very granular and detailed uh, is a separate issue, and, uh, and perhaps we could talk about that later. Some of the barriers, this is a broad, very broad program with a lot of institutional-specific uh, moving parts and, and uh, variabilities. Um, some of the institutional costs, I think, as we discussed yesterday in our various breakout sessions with our, our partner institutions, I think we have all kind of come to realize that we're locally approaching this in similar manner in terms of kind of taking it baby steps and augmenting the ART curriculum on top of what we already do. Um, uh, that is with the exception, I believe, of I think it's fair to say that UC San Diego at some point in the past kind of took an all-in approach and, uh, and just dove in and, and kind of stopped uh, redundancy with some of their other training and went all, all, all in with ART. So overcoming some of the barriers, um, the, I think in essence the, the linkage to QI in, in fact makes this uh, very variable and it's going to perhaps vary from um, division to individual uh, practice unit even within hospitals and as such there's not a cohesive roadmap. In, it, in that, I think, is partly the beauty, but also the complexity of, of the program. Um, I think, uh, ultimately, the site leaders are going to uh, be key, key stakeholders in making sure that uh, this, this progresses insofar as uh, making it a truly interdisciplinary and interprofessional endeavor and focusing on, uh, as, as Dan has, has called it here, low-hanging fruit. I think we all have uh, clearly in our minds certain areas that we can kind of strike and be very impactful. Uh, and at the same time be strategic in getting our, our uh, feet in the water. Sustainability, um, the, 
the database, I think, uh, ultimately will hopefully be the, the proof to the pudding uh, as we are able to compile uh, that list of things that we can all collectively do better and hopefully uh, merge resources and um, plan on uh, larger targets downstream. As a side note, uh, UC San Diego and the tech transfer folks are, are anticipating the possibility of this being a commercially uh, available program, and I'll defer those kind of elements to Dan because he's very close to that. And with two minutes and 32 seconds, I'm done. Okay. So thank you to CHQIQERM, and thank you to all the Medical Center leadership, and thank you to all of you in the audience for taking the time out of your beautiful Friday afternoon to come hear about all of our projects and go forth and support them at your institutions. I will be representing our collaborative called UC CareCheck, a standardized multidisciplinary approach to improve neurosurgical patient outcomes and care experiences. I also have no financial disclosures to report. I'm going to ask our uh, CareCheck Collaborative site leads to please stand up in the audience. Um, this is a multidisciplinary collaborative. We bring together hospitalists, anesthesiologists, neurosurgeons to the table as well as the nursing to try to improve our outcomes. Obviously, there's myself at UC San Francisco and my better half, James Harrison, who has been integral in project design, implementation, and helping to move things along. At UCLA, we have Nassim Afsar Manesh, who's spent years of work working with neurosurgeons at UCLA, directing their quality program, and is now also their associate CMO. At UC Irvine, we have Alpesh Amin, who is the director of their hospitalist program and also is the chair of medicine and is working to build bridges and working with neurosurgery and anesthesiology at UC Irvine. At UC San Diego, we have Dr. Greg Seaman, who is also a leader in quality and safety, both locally and nationally, and the director of their hospitalist program. And at UC Davis, we have Dr. Jeff Uppington, who is the vice chair of anesthesiology. Um, I also want to introduce our care check coordinators, so if all of you can also stand up as well. This is one of the downsides of creating your slides two months before you actually give the talk, but since um, we've, I have created the, these slides, our group has grown, so please do stand up. So our CareCheck collaborators, two of them whom are not here at the moment, are integral in ensuring that the basic day-to-day -day engaging of stakeholders, ensuring people are educated, actually implementing our uh, project and collecting the data and all of our outcomes, um, they are extraordinary uh, people on our group. We have Sarah Emershine from UC San Francisco, Anna Aladia from UC Irvine, Jennifer Varma from UCLA, Sarah Preteville from UC San Diego, um, and, and I know I'm missing one. I apologize. <laughs> uh, Josie Wan, I forgot, from uh, UC Davis. Also, we have, as a part of our collaborative, we've engaged the strong backing of all of the neurosurgical chairs at all five UC Medical Center campuses. And in fact, we engaged their support even before our project got funded because we needed to ensure that as a group of hospitalists and anesthesiologists, we were able to move things along with the neurosurgeons and 
to ensure that we had appropriate working relationships with all of them. So I'd like to give credit to Dr. Mitch Berger at UCSF, Dr. Neil Martin at UCLA, Dr. Carter at UCSD, Dr. Frank Sue at Irvine, and Dr. Bogan at UC Davis. So our vision is to really try to standardize as much as possible in the care of neurosurgical patients at our five UC medical centers to try to improve our outcomes and also the patient and family care experiences. And we're doing this through a multi and interdisciplinary bundle toolkit consisting of four different aims and objectives. The first aim is to standardize the pre-admission education that patients are receiving in clinic before they come in for their surgeries through the use of ME modules. One of the potential limitations of using this approach is currently, as it is designed in ME, there aren't very many neurosurgery-specific modules. However, uh, we are working with others, both within ME and also Dr. Nancy McLaughlin at UCLA, who, as a part of her CHQI project, is also design, designing a neurosurgery education video as well to hopefully broaden um, and enrich the pre-admission education materials that we're currently giving our patients. Our second aim is to improve the multidisciplinary communication and safety awareness in our operating rooms by implementing a post-operative debriefing. And this, again, engages the multidisciplinary team in the operating rooms, the neurosurgeons, both trainees and attendings, anesthesiologists, nursing, and neuromonitoring services when they are present in the operating room. And this is the idea that people don't just scatter off into the wind at the end of the case, but that actually everybody's communicating about what actually happened to the patient in the operating room, any critical events, any critical next steps, and contingency planning before people do leave uh, the OR. Our third aim is to create a clinical care checklist, which we've dubbed the ABC checklist, um, to ensure that clinical best practices are happening to our neurosurgery patients when they are admitted to the hospital. And the goal here is to really hopefully reduce uh, perioperative morbidities and hopefully mortality, specifically those relating to CAUTIs, VTEs, neurologic deficits, um, and unexpected returns to the operating room. And this work really was initially piloted at UCLA, and we're learning what they learned there and spreading it throughout uh, the UC system. And our fourth aim is to really include the patient voice by conducting patient and family uh, patient focus groups at all of our five UC medical centers, not only to better understand what they went through when they came in for their surgery and were hospitalized and were discharged, but to identify areas that we do really well and hopefully areas that we can continue to improve at all of our sites. This is just a quick timeline that we've kind of been engaging in. And again, before we even actually got funded, we went out there and ensured that we had the full buy-in and support of the neurosurgeons on this project. We continue to engage commitment and support of clinical leadership at each site. Um, we have established what data measures we're going to be following, both process and outcome measures. We did a comprehensive literature review, as well as actually looked at each site to see what each site was currently doing. and decided what best practices we actually wanted to work on and disseminate across the entire system. Uh, through an iterative process, we then finalized our interventions also by using the patient focus group and the results that we got from the patient voice to include the patient voice in our final intervention. And we're in the process of finalizing our pre-intervention data. And right now, really, we're in the implementation phase. Uh, we've, in our first year of funding, we've now rolled out ME at all of our five UC medical center neurosurgical and spine clinics. We've completed the five baseline patient and family focus groups. And all five sites are currently in the process of implementing the post-operative debriefing, as well as the ABC clinical checklist. And once we do get 
further information about how we're doing on all of our process measures and our outcomes measures. We're ensuring that we're going to be feeding back this information to all of our stakeholders. We're going to actually ask our stakeholders how are things going because we're going to have to refine our interventions because I'm sure what we've come up with as a collaborative is not what it's going to look like in the future two years from now. Um, and we're going to have to continue ongoing staff training and messaging. And eventually we would also love to uh, disseminate our findings and information, not just to UC Health and our funders, but also um, uh, out uh, in, into the medical literature. So with regards to sustainability, our project really is looking to empower individuals and groups to be able to do the things that we're doing, even when the funding cycle of this project is over. So really what we're doing in order to ensure sustainability is ensuring that we are frequently articulating what our vision is, what we stand for. Um, and one of the things I've learned is that it's impossible to lead a project if you only have a vision and you can complete your tasks. You really need to have the relationships with the folks that you're working with, not only at your own site, but at all of the sites that we're engaging. And so these are, this is one of the things that we're continuing to bring people to the table, putting all the pieces of the puzzle together to make sure that we, are, uh, uh, that we include everyone's voice. At the end of the day, also, we can continue to... Uh, message why we need to do things based off of data and based off of people's performances and benchmarking people against each other. But we can change the way they think about the problem, but unless we change the way they feel about the problem, they may not necessarily change their behavior. So really making sure we're connecting it back to the patient and the families at the end of the day, and they're the reason why we're doing this project. Obviously celebrating and recognizing our initial gains and eventually integrating as much as we can into our respective EMRs. So some of the barriers to spread I've uh, initially alluded to, but one of the things we heard a lot about was, wait, you're asking me to standardize? Our patients are a lot sicker, a lot more complex. They're not like other places' patients. And we heard this over and over again. So as was alluded to earlier, we're choosing the lower-hanging fruit and ensuring that we are standardizing as much as we can that all the surgeons and all the stakeholders in our group can agree upon and showing people that we can demonstrate initial successes um, and that things can actually be done. There is some limited provider time and attention, so we have to make sure that when we do have their time and attention that we are very effective in articulating what we're asking and what our vision is. Um, and then obviously it is a multi-site project, and there's five different neurosurgical service lines with different competing priorities, some recent transitions in leadership at each of the different sites. So ensuring that uh, we understand all of those relationships, engaging the stakeholders, actually knowing what is existing at each of the different sites, what worked before and what didn't work before, so we're not trying to reinvent the wheel um, all the time. And then obviously uh, the fact that not all of us are on an EPIC system, and each EPIC system has its own separate nuances, building reports um, and actually hardwiring into the EMR is a little bit more of a challenge than than we had initially thought. Um, and really what we're doing to address those barriers, again, is to engage as many of the stakeholders as possible, being active listeners, being approachable, um, starting with the easier wins, showing people that this can be done and building on that momentum. And sh um, again, making sure that people continue to be aware of our project. So thank you very much. Good afternoon. I also have no disclosures relevant to this project. Um, I'm here to talk about the uh, University of California 
colorectal collaborative. And just to uh, make a few brief comments, number one, this was a group that had already been assembled prior to the CHQI grant process, and we had really been the uh, uh, f- had the fortune, I should say, of getting some initial seed funding from our ICTS and Dan Cooper as a team-building conference back in November of 2011. So it's uh, important to see how a little bit of money can actually end up having a big impact uh, long-term. So it was a great opportunity to then apply for and receive this CHQI grant to allow us to expand our our goals and our reach. Uh, we know that colonorectal surgery is is high risk by definition, uh, has amongst the highest morbidity of any general surgical operation, certainly. And the five UC campuses had uh, a good track record of collaboration already. So our goal was to look at um, outcomes, patient satisfaction, and other uh, um, deliverables, if you would, including length of stay and cost, amongst the five UCs to try to really bring together best practices. And we're looking at preoperative, intraoperative, and postoperative phases. Okay, I guess you had the point. Uh, there are a lot of people that have contributed to the project. Uh, this is a listing of the site uh, leaders as well as the participating surgeons at the various sites, but certainly many more people have contributed, as others have already commented, uh, just to be specific, Kat Munoz, who's here today, I want to uh, ask Kat to stand up and thank her for being the administrative project leader and taking over, uh, uh, keeping all of us online. Um, and every site has additional participants. So I ask everybody involved with our project to please stand up, including people like Maxime Caniston with the Department of Anesthesiology, Carlos Chavez, uh, and others. Please, if you would, stand up and acknowledge uh, your work and efforts. So our key objectives were to improve the quality of healthcare delivered to our patients in early risk assessment and improve communication with patients to improve outcomes and also to improve patient satisfaction. And then a big problem in our domain is readmission. Readmission rates nationally range between 15 and 20 percent, and the UCs are, if anything, on the high end of that because of the complexity of the patients we take care of. So our specific aims further uh, institute a standardized approach to preoperative education via video, also working with the ME products, but actually having an active role in scripting of those ME videos. We were not uh, very satisfied with the current ME videos. So by engaging the company and by engaging the power of all of us together, as well as our national society, we were able to um, convince them to, A, allow us to modify the, init- the original uh, script Uh, to come up with an ME 2.0, if you would, and then also to produce a new video specifically focused on rectal cancer, which wasn't in existence. To uh, implement an American College of Surgeons NISQIP preoperative risk calculator that's become available in the last three months. I'll show you more about that in a minute. To try to standardize our perioperative care across the five UCs through what we've termed MIRAS, which is minimally invasive recovery after surgery. Other terms used for this is ERAS or ERAS, which many of you are familiar with to validate an intraoperative assessment tool that we think will lower the risk of anastomotic leaks, one of the major morbidities we deal with on a regular basis, to create and utilize a video regarding post-discharge expectations and potential complications that will be shown to the patient and family during the hospital stay prior to discharge, and then will be provided to them for additional viewing post-discharge, which we think, again, will help improve patient uh, satisfaction, but maybe more importantly, reduce readmission rates. And then assessing patient experience using a CAPS survey, uh, and then evaluating outcomes 
using baseline data, using NISQIP data, and then comparing it to our uh, outcomes after intervention. And this is just an overview of the phases. We're finishing phase one right now, which is year one, essentially getting our baseline data collection for patient satisfaction, getting our baseline NISQIP data collection for outcomes, and uh, in the midst of doing our video scripting and production. Year two will then be implementation, which will be starting July 1st. And just not to provide too much detail because uh, it's not really relevant to this group, just some ideas of what we're asking in terms of questions. Uh, the NISQIP data collection is uh, unlike administrative databases, uh, but somewhat similar to the SDS database, which again is the example by which all of us should aspire. Uh, NISQIP is very well validated and it's very granular, and it also provides 30-day um, follow-up, which many of the administrative databases don't give us. It's uh, very well nationally validated, and all five UCs are now on board with NISQIP. We recently created a collaborative agreement between the five sites to allow us to collect aggregate UC uh, data. We also uh, introduced custom fields to allow us to get more granular data that we think is more relevant to our own outcomes. And that was uh, one of our obstacles, which I'll talk about in a minute. And again, year two is going to be all about implementation. Uh, so again, the surgical education video, patients are to watch that video preoperatively, and there will be eventually two videos. Currently, only one exists, and uh, it's still in version 1.0, but we'll soon be transitioning over to the more recent version. And then the proctectomy video will be delayed a bit as the company goes through production. Uh, again, used to educate the patient about the planned procedures. And this is the NISQIP risk calculator, and it may not project well in the back of the room, but basically you enter in there the CPT code of the operation you're going to do, and then you enter in the patient demographic information, comorbidities, and it spits out uh, this right here, which shows you that that particular patient's risk of death, serious complications, and then very specific complications, including things like surgical site infection, pneumonia, et cetera. And this is based on a very, very large database, and so it's uh, continuously evolving, if you would, in terms of how outcomes uh, uh, are seen. We already talked briefly about the, the MIRAS program. It's currently in place to a variable degree at all five UC centers, and it promotes things that are fairly straightforward to us now, including post-op patient ambulation, early resumption of nutrition, and utilization of uh, protocols to prevent ileus. Um, then again, we're uh, in the midst of producing our post-op surgical education video. In particular, uh, many of our patients go home with a temporary ileostomy because of the high proportion of rectal cancer patients treated at the, all five UCs, and that leads to an even higher readmission rate and uh, difficulty with patient care and extended length of stay. Obstacles that we've uh, faced, number one first was the IRB approval. Uh, using the rely and trust mechanism, we thought we would just get that approval at one site and then the others would follow. Well, it turns out that we were told that it wasn't necessary because this is a quality improvement project, which was uh, quite nice to hear. Uh, the CAPS uh, data collection, there is some variability between the UCs, as there is in the uh, EMR, as already mentioned. Uh, we had some issues with our budget in terms of the limitations of it and the video production costs. We managed to get around that by incorporating a couple of very excellent and very smart uh, fourth-year medical students who have actually uh, uh, shown, us to be, uh, shown us that they're quite adept at producing videos for patient education, uh, and they're also very, uh, very cheap, which is good. Uh, 
I'm surprised with all those uh, student loans. Uh, and then equipment and formulary inconsistencies have led to some modifications necessary in our, in our MIRAS uh, protocol because not every institution has all the same drugs or uses all the same drugs because of those inconsistencies. And then finally, the NISQIP data need for custom fields, which created quite a bit of hesitancy. And I want to thank also uh, our SSI project team. Dr. Toriani is going to talk to you in a minute about um, uh, their project. We've had good collaboration with them, and we'll incorporate elements in our pre-op videos as well as our post-op videos that will ensure, or at least help, I should say, help ensure their success as well. Again, I mentioned already our collaboration with our anesthesiology colleagues, uh, nursing and case managers. I think Mary Owens is here also. Thank you, Mary. Uh, for your help, and then the uh, SCRs, which is the surgical case reviewers for NISQIP. Uh, how, what have we accomplished? Again, we got the IRB exemption at all five UCs. Uh, we finished our project protocol. We created the NISQIP collaborative. We're currently collecting the baseline data, and we've got the CAPS baseline data collection from all except for one UC, and I'm sure that will be forthcoming. Our endpoints are, quite frankly, improved outcomes, length of stay, morbidity, mortality, readmission rates, and then patient satisfaction. Thank you very much. Shot clock still had some time left on it. So the short one is Francesca Torriani. I'm from uh, UCSD, and I'm the project lead on uh, the... Um, project of developing standardized operative bundles to decrease surgical site infections. Uh, and I would like, this is a huge collaborative, um, and a lot of them are here, so I would like our groups, I know that some of them are, are right here from UCSF uh, and all the sites, please stand up. But also, I would like to acknowledge collaboration with people who are not on the grant, are our PCU uh, groups, uh, Miss um, Lee, <laughs> who's been an enormous help at UCSD to standardize uh, the things. So nobody's getting up of all the UCs. <laughs> Come on, guys, get up. Uh, and also our IS uh, folks who have been absolutely incredible and have helped us. So our aim is to reduce surgical site infections in total knee replacements, total hip replacements, laminectomy, spinal fusions, and that was supposed to be the program. And then the good news came that we were also adding colorectal surgeries, and we're very happy that we did that. Our objective is to standardize and implement three bundles, a preoperative, a perioperative, and a postoperative bundle. So this was the status when we went for the grant. And as you can see, there's a lot of red, and I hope many of you are not colorblind, but, but uh, basically if we look here, there's a lot of red up here, a lot of red, and there's quite a lot of yellow, but there's only one green here of fully implemented. As you can see, we've implemented quite a few things, and this is... Of course, it's not totally objective. It's what we self-report. But we basically were able to implement partially quite a few bundles and also fully quite a few bundles. And now the big uh, implementation gap that remains is really more in the post-operative bundle. 
So as an update, my first update will be on the preoperative bundles. We um, uh, implemented a three CHG bath showers prior to surgery, including the morning of surgery, and we implemented and standardized across all five UCs uh, an education for the patients and also a little CHG package that they would get that they will get uh, at the pre-op visit. Um, we also uh, are implementing and finalizing clinical stools for the staff to educate about the bundle, and also we are finalizing the data points for the measuring the process measure of adherence to the to this bundle. And so this is an example, I don't want you to read it, but basically this is a 5UC campus education sheet, and we have the same thing for, um, for also CHG shower, so how to shower for the patients. And we have both a movie and a, um, a simple one-page sheet. Uh, the perioperative bundle, we've worked a lot on intraoperative traffic control monitoring, and as you may or may not have noticed, we have introduced um, electronic monitors in the ORs of interest, uh, and we will also, we have finalized the point prevalence data on personnel in the OR just yesterday at our meeting. Uh, this will be then given to feedback to surgeons. We've also finalized antibiotic prophylaxis uh, of adding vancomycin when indicated to the, um, to the regimen. For OR traffic monitorings, four UCs are up and going. This is live. We can uh, log in and, and see what the OR traffic is. One UC will, uh, it was left, and I'm happy to say that by Tuesday, next Tuesday, we will, all five UCs will be up and going. And this was an incredible, incredible effort. Uh, from everybody, not only from our collaborative group, but from IT and uh, OR uh, people and um, uh, engineering, clinical engineering. The post-operative bundle, uh, we have um, daily CHG bathing for five days post-operatively or until discharge, then a standard post-surgical education, and we're collaborating both with neurosurgery, orthospine, and colorectal surgery to really incorporate that into uh, the flow of care and into also the discharge uh, elements. And then we want to the last step that we still need to work on is to standardize uh, transfer instructions so that when patients are transferred to a SNF or to another care facility, we give them what we expect to be done and so that it's, there's a clear commitment. And then that we educate also patients on, on what is expected and, and what we want them to look after. So sustainability, I think that the whole scope of, of this grant is to sustain. That is that we incorporate into the EMR all of these elements. We incorporate into clinical care all of these elements. So that when this grant uh, is finished, uh, then these will be already in and 
we will incorporate what is successful, clearly not what is not successful. We hope everything will be successful. Barriers and solutions, the IRB reliance process, uh, it was clearly not standardized across UCs, and uh, there were differing interpretations at local IRBs on, on what that process should be. I must say that uh, we communicated very rapidly with UCOP. They had a, a point person, Dr. Uh, Ong, and the communication and standardization happened very quickly, and three months into the system, that really allowed us to move forward and have everything accepted. The second barrier is really something that I would like to share with everybody and for future grants, is really that when we write a grant and we want it to be funded, we know what what, why we want it to be funded and why it's important. But we are not aware of the culture, the key leadership and collaborators and the leadership priorities. And so that is also very important and that was extremely helpful uh, within uh, UC, this uh, UCOP initiative uh, to really get to know leadership, to share grant goals with leadership and local key groups, to align our grant goals with the leadership goals, and to problem solve locally. And one of the breakthroughs that we had was really when we had our uh, on-site meetings, we realized that some sites had solved more than others in some aspects. And we were able to share this knowledge and to share the groups. For, for instance, to share the IT solutions that we had had at uh, UC San Diego or at UCSF and to share them with other sites. And, and that was an incredibly fruitful process and it allowed us really to move forward quite quickly. So, um, and then also to cross-pollinate or cross-facilitate these relationships also with other grants like the neurosurgical grant and the uh, colorectal grant. And I think that I will end here. So what we are going to end with is that by year one, so by July 15, we will have implementation of two-thirds of, of the uh, of the, um, these bundles, and then we'll start measuring process measures. O of course, the outcome measures are all already measured, so we will have them all. Thank you. You've been listening to a podcast by University of California Television. For more information about this program or UCTV, visit us online at uctv.tv.